Now, Lord, we want to pray that you, as we look at the book of John, that you would help us to uh, understand your word and what your spirit is communicating to us through John. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this quarter we're looking at the Gospel of John. The author is John. We don't know that from the book because the book is anonymous. The author's name is never mentioned. <clears throat> we know that from the writing style because John also wrote three letters, epistles, oops, and uh, <clears throat> and the writing style is uh, very similar to those letters, and we also know from external sources, uh, namely Irenaeus. Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. And Irenaeus, in one of his writings, I don't know which one it was, said specifically that John was the author of this gospel. Uh, the date of writing is about between AD 80 and AD 90, toward the end of the first century. The place of writing is Ephesus. In John's later years, he was uh, kind of a bishop overseeing the churches in Asia Minor from Ephesus. And the audience is unbelieving Gentiles. So how do we know that? We know that because John, several times in the gospel, will explain Hebrew words. He will translate them and tell you what they mean. For example, when he says rabbi, he says that means teacher. So he's ex explaining this to Jews would know that. So he's, he's explaining that to non-Jews. And we know that he's writing to the unbelieving because of what he says in his purpose statement at the end of the book. And that is John 20, verses 30 and 31, where it says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the Gospel of John is written to the unbeliever to convince them to believe. It is evangelistic. Okay, so um, <clears throat> our first section here is verses 1 through 18. Can I get somebody to read that? What do the first couple of verses remind you of? Do they remind you of something? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Hi, Sarah. And the Word was God. What does that remind you of? Genesis, yeah, 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Gospels, it's interesting, three out of four of the Gospels start with a genealogy. The only one that doesn't start with a genealogy is the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark was written to portray Jesus as a servant. Servants in the Roman world did not have genealogies. So, but Matthew was to portray Jesus as the king of Israel. And so the genealogy goes through David back to Abraham, the founder of the nation. Luke's gospel was to portray Jesus as the son of man. So Luke's genealogy goes back to Adam, the first man. <clears throat> John is to portray Jesus as the Son of God. So his genealogy is genealogy from heaven. And so what, I mean, the first uh, two verses here are uh, really mind-blowing. You know, this is John's whole purpose. He wants people to know who this Jesus is. So it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was both with God and the Word was God. So this gets into the uh, nature of God. And, you know, back in early Christianity, there was a lot of debate about the nature of God. And there are a couple of false teachings which are still with us today about the nature of God. So we are Trinitarian, right? So we believe that God is one God who expresses himself in three persons. That is very hard to understand. But back in the third century, there was a guy named Arius. And he proposed that Jesus was a created being. You know, when it says he's the only begotten of the Father. So he used that phrase to um, say that Jesus, that the Father created Jesus. And Jesus was a created being. Now, can anyone point out a modern-day group that does the exact same thing? They come to your door. Yeah, the Jehovah Witnesses. The Jehovah Witnesses are recycling ancient Arianism. And they've done that by uh, creating their own Bible, the New World Translation where instead it says, and the word was with God, and the word was God, their version would say, and the word was a God. And so they use that to say that Jesus was a created being. John very carefully does not do that. He says that Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Another um, error in theology is what's called Sabellianism or modalism. 
And that's the idea that there's one God, but he will change hats, if you will. One time he'll be the Father, at another time he'll be the Son, at another time he'll be the Spirit. That's called modalism, so one God who goes into different modes against that. That is a, and that also came up about the same time, about the third century. Yeah, so he puts on these different personages depending on what he's doing. <laughs> And uh, we have a, a, a pastor, a very prominent pastor in Dallas, T.D. Jakes. He, well, he teaches modalism. So, no. <laughs> he, so he's not, he's not, he doesn't have a correct theology of God. You know, the nature of God is, I think it's impossible for man's mind to understand, but we know that he's one God and expresses himself in three personages, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And um, <clears throat> John's wording is very careful to maintain that. So then, in verse 3, what do we learn? If we take verse 1 and then look at verse 14, we know immediately who the Word is. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father. Okay, so right there we know exactly who the Word is. So verse 3, what does verse 3 tell us about this Word? Yeah, the Word is <clears throat> the Creator. So in that also, Colossians 1.16 tells us the same thing. Colossians 1.16, very powerful verse. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, in other words, the angels, all things have been created through him and for him. So Jesus is the creator. And so Jesus, Jesus, um, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus created life. Um, he created our physical life, and he will give us spiritual life also, which was lost. So um, <clears throat> look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Why do you think the darkness did not comprehend it? Yes, it didn't want to. What happens when you're caught with your hand in the cookie jar? <laughs> You'd rather no one see you, right? 
Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, as sinful people who tend to sin, if we're sinning, we don't want people to know it, right? And what does light do? Light exposes. Light exposes. You know, when we I lived in St. Louis, we lived in this apartment. I'd come out at night to get water or something. I'd flip on the light, and there were a billion cockroaches that went because they were exposed. Shortly after that, we moved, but because <laughs> that was so gross. But yeah, um, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't necessarily like it. Sinners don't like it when they're exposed. <coughs> so then, this gospel is all about witnesses. Remember, John is writing to Gentile unbelievers, and his goal is to convince them of who Jesus is, that they might believe. So his first witness he brings up is John, and in this gospel it says, John, it's John the Baptist. Um, <clears throat> and verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light. So about this person, Jesus, that all might believe through him. And then it goes to say he was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. John himself, they asked him if, you know, who he was, and he immediately said, I am not the Christ. So, <clears throat> then verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. What do you think that means? Um, the true light, which coming into the world, enlightens every man. Jesus. How does Jesus enlighten? Yeah, Jesus always tells the truth. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He always tells the truth. Yes. Yes. So, um, <clears throat> the Calvinists would say that uh, Jesus did not come for all people. He only came for the elect. Okay, that is not biblical. First <clears throat> uh, John two two says he himself Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. <clears throat> so. That goes against one of the planks of Calvinism, which is uh, limited atonement. That's the L in the tulip. 
Okay, we've already talked about the other one of the other planks, the P, which is perseverance of the saints, and shown that saints do not necessarily persevere. You know, the Lord will save them, but whether you persevere in good works or not depends on your willingness to submit to the Holy Spirit. For example, Lot. Lot is a very good example. Lot was saved. We know that by uh, the Apostle Peter's writings. But if you read the account of his life, you would think he was unsaved. So, um, <clears throat> so the perseverance of the saints is also a non-biblical doctrine, and limited atonement is a non-biblical doctrine. And that is good for us as far as evangelism because, you know, the people who believe in Calvinism, there's a guy who's very good about biblical counseling. His name is Jay Adams. And in one of his books, he said that he, he doesn't evangelize his patients because he's not sure if they're one of the elect. You know? But nobody has an elect stamped on their forehead. Every single human being is a savable person. So we evangelize everybody. Will everyone be saved? No. Because they have to believe. And if they don't believe, then they have chosen against being saved themselves. So... Um, <clears throat> Verses 10 and 11 are a little sad. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. And then even worse, he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. So who are his own? Okay. Yes. Yeah, his relatives. Yes. In, in this context, it's speaking of the Jews. Yeah. But it's true, his, his brothers didn't believe in him. That's in this gospel. His brothers did not believe in him while he was alive. They did after he rose from the dead. <laughs> you know, we know James and Jude did, for sure. His whole town didn't either. They did not believe in him. And the nation did not believe in him because he came offering the kingdom of God to them. You know, which was prophesied in the Old Testament, this miraculous kingdom, this utopia of universal prosperity, very long lifespans, animals not eating each other anymore, you know, wonderful. He came offering that, and they rejected it. <clears throat> so, which is good for us? You know, the church was a mystery in the Old Testament, but not to God. God knew all along and had planned for the church. And when the Jews rejected their Messiah, the Lord started the church, <clears throat> which is very different from Israel. So verse 12 So we, we should try to count. It'd probably be hard to count, but how often John uses the word believe in this gospel. He used the word believe in verse 7. Oh, might believe to, 
through him. Verse 12, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. <clears throat> so who are children of God? Believe. Believers. Yes. Now, have you heard people say that we're all children of God? Everyone's a ch child of God, you know. Yeah. Is that a true statement? No. What can be said is that all people are image bearers of God. We are all made in God's image. And part of that image is volition, choice. God has given us choice, which is a very dangerous thing, in my opinion. It's a very dangerous thing, but... He doesn't want robots. He wants people to love him because they choose to do so. And, um, you know, that's, that's another one of the doctrines of Calvinism that is false. The fact that people are so depraved that they have no faith whatsoever. Um, and so God must first give them faith and then make them believe. That, that is another thing that Calvinism teaches, which is false. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, all of the commands to choose in the Bible would be silly. And, you know, that's where this doctrine of perseverance of the saints comes from. If God gives you faith and then causes you to believe, of course you're going to persist in good works. You know, But we choose... First we choose Christ, and that locks us in. We are saved. We are going to heaven for sure, no matter what we do after that. We cannot screw it up. And then after that, we are given a choice every day. Am I going to follow the Lord, or am I going to do what my sin nature wants? Every day, we're given that choice. Because we're image bearers of God. But <clears throat> Which is a great honor. It is a great honor. Even unbelievers have a great honor to be image bearers of God. So then, in verse 14, John connects this word and says, The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God, the creator, second person of the Trinity, at a certain point in time, uh, you know, at the virgin conception, put on flesh. That blows your mind, doesn't it? That blows your mind. So nothing was transferred back and forth. Nothing was subtracted from God. Something was added to God. Humanity was added to God. So that is why Jesus, this word begotten, in the Greek is mon monogynous. So Guinness 
is kind, like uh, when you're taking um, biology, you learn the species. Species are the kinds. Mono is one. So Jesus is one of a kind. He's unique. It's also called in fancy theology terms the hypostatic union. Jesus is 100% God, and he is 100% man, the hypostatic union. So, <clears throat> because, I mean, this only makes sense because Jesus promises people eternal life, right? What if I promised you eternal life? What would you say? <laughs> that you'd laugh at me, right? I'd either be lying or I'd be crazy. So that is why it the object of your faith is important. You know, a lot of people believe sincerely about things. The con? The con. Yeah, a con artist. Liar. Well, liar. Yeah, a liar. Yeah. You know, the prophets of Baal were very sincere. They were jumping around and stabbing themselves and on Baal trying to call fire down from heaven. But they had the wrong object of their faith. So the object of your faith is extremely important. It has to be someone who can do what he says he can do. So Jesus, being God, who created life in the first place, if he says, I can give you eternal life if you believe in me, yes, he can, and he will. So <laughs> that is why we want to be very careful about how we portray Jesus, who he is. Um, if you believe in the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, that is the wrong object of your faith. They believe he was a created being. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, he believes that the Father created the Son. And, you know, so, <clears throat> but Jesus is of the same essence as the Father. He is as much God as the Father is God. He is as much God as the Spirit is God. Um, <clears throat> so, when Jesus says that he offers eternal life, if you believe in him, he has the power to deliver on that promise. Um, anyone else who says that can't do it. And so they're a liar. And Satan has all sorts of false messiahs out there. So then... <clears throat> The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So back in verse 16, for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. John is very deep, isn't he? I mean, it, makes, it, it really stretches your brain. What do you think that means? So the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. What was the law? What is the law? 
it's yeah, it's Ten Commandments plus six hundred and three, or six hundred thirteen commandments in the law. So it is a very extensive, explicit rule of life for the believer. Because the Jews in the Old Testament were also saved by faith. They believed in this coming Messiah, and that is how they were saved. But not all of them were given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with when he empowers you to do these things. And so it's very difficult. You know, Peter says we couldn't do this. We couldn't keep the law. Our fathers couldn't keep the law. When you believe in Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive a new nature. You are able. He gives you the power to do what God asks you. As you walk with him <coughs> day by day. And it's a progressive thing. You learn as you go on. Hopefully, we're not the same as we were 10 years ago. Hopefully, we're more spiritual. We're more like Jesus than we were back then. That is our goal. And that may, you know, no one will be perfected because we all have a sin nature still until we die. But we can sin less than we did before. And then verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So if somebody asks you, what is God's, God like? You can tell them, look at Jesus. That's what God is like. <clears throat> okay. Somebody want to read 19 through 28? So for the people, if there are any listening online... This is the second section, John the Baptist prepares the way. Well, this is going to get hard to get used to. <clears throat> so the testimony of John, remember, John the Apostle is convincing people of who Jesus is. And the Jews, John was causing a stir outside of Jerusalem by his preaching. <clears throat> So the Jews sent people out. Uh, the Pharisees specifically sent people out. That's in verse 24. <clears throat> and to figure out what was going on out there. And asked him, who are you, John? Who are you? And that is the very question. The question is, who is the Messiah? His identity is the key. A regular, regular man could not deliver on a promise of salvation or eternal life. And so <clears throat> they're wondering, is John the Messiah? And immediately, they didn't ask him if he was the Messiah. They just said, who are you? Immediately said, I'm not the Christ. Immediately. John was not proud, which is good. Pride is bad. <clears throat> John confessed, said, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, there are certain people in the Old Testament that they are looking for. They were prophesied that before Messiah comes, Elijah would come. That's in Malachi, which we just studied, chapter 4, verse 5. And he said, nope, I'm not Elijah. 
Then they asked, are you the prophet? Now the prophet was prophesied by Moses just before they went into the land to take the land of Canaan. And the prophet was someone who would speak to them like Moses that God would raise up. And they were to listen to him. Jesus fulfills that prophecy of the prophet. But John the Baptist says, of, you know, the question, are you the prophet? No. So they said, who are you, who are you then? They obviously knew he was someone significant, you know, someone prophetic. And what he claims is the prophecy of Isaiah 40, verse 3. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, which is true. He was out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. So, <clears throat> Now, it's interesting that when they asked John, are you Elijah, John said no. But Jesus didn't. Yeah, that, this is interesting. So in Matthew 11, and what is it, verse 14, this is Jesus speaking about John the Baptist. And he says, <clears throat> if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah, who was to come. That's what Jesus, yes, that's what Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it. Now, what happened when, did they accept it? What was it? Yeah, the message that the king is coming, right? John, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Messiah. First century Israel, I'm telling you, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah did come. Did they accept it? No. A few did. A few did. But national Israel, the leaders of Israel, rejected so, you know, somewhere it says, Jesus said, but John came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so, so he could have been that prophecy fulfilled, but he wasn't because the Jews didn't accept it. Now, in the end times, in the tribulation period, there will be two witnesses in Jerusalem, and um, <clears throat> you know, D Dane believes, and he has convinced me, he has convinced me that those we cannot know who those are. They may be two of the 144,000, but they will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. There will be two of them, and they will turn the Jews to call for the Messiah. And so, because this prophecy in Malachi is, uh, because what happened after that Jesus came, the Jews rejected him, was it all wonderful after that? No, it was terrible after that. I mean, about 
30 or 40 years later, Rome came, tore the temple down, burned Jerusalem, and the Jews were cast into worldwide dispersion for 2,000 years after that. But <clears throat> what the Malachi prophecy says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Remember, that's the, day that, the very day that Jesus comes back. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. As to hold off the curse. The curse came in first century Israel. <clears throat> so I think that uh, the, one of those um, witnesses in Revelation is going to fulfill that, fulfill that prophecy. So how John? So John claimed the prophecy of Isaiah forty verse three, and you know how were they to prepare for the Lord? Because he, that was what he was saying: make straight the way of the Lord, prepare the way for the Lord. How were they to do that? Yeah, they have to believe. That is what. Uh, the account in Luke 16 about Lazarus and the rich man. Remember, the lit, Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom, or paradise, <clears throat> at death. He was a believer. The rich man went to Hades. He was an unbeliever. The rich man asked Abraham to send Lazarus, risen from the dead, to his family to warn them not to come here <laughs> because he was in agony. And at the end... Abraham said to Lazarus, no, to the rich man, Luke 16, 31, he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. So they were to believe the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, they were to believe it. And <clears throat> they were to return to the Mosaic law. Because remember, at this time, when Jesus came on this earth, they were still under the law of Moses. The law of Moses was in force until Jesus died, rose, and ascended to heaven. <clears throat> the first time we hear of the law of Christ, which is what we are under, is the book of James. The book of James was written in AD 45. And that's where we start to, start to see the law of Christ explained to us. Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. We are no longer under the Mosaic law. We are under the law of Christ, which is found in the New Testament letters. And the first New Testament letters was the book of James. And that's that's the whole idea of these dispensations. You know, people get mad when you say you're dispensational or things like that. But dispensationalism or seeing the dispensations is just reading the Bible and seeing as time goes on, the Lord will adjust the rules of life. So in the Mosaic Law, we would bring an animal sacrifice to the temple to sacrifice, um, 
you know, for our sins. Well, now we have our sin bearer. There's no need to do that anymore. And, um, you know, there's all sorts of things that have fallen away as we've come out from under the Mosaic law. Um, some things are still in force. You know, do not lie. Do not commit adultery. Have no other gods before me. Those things are still in force, and they're repeated in the law of Christ, which is in the New Testament letters. <clears throat> Anybody have any questions about this? I'm just babbling on and on. <laughs> okay. All right, so um, verse 26 John answered them, saying, I baptize, you know, what are you doing? Why are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John says, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know, and he who comes after me, the thong of the, whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So, <clears throat> water baptism was previously used for proselytes to Judaism. I developed around the time of the Babylonian captivity. Remember, washings were used for the priests initially in the Mosaic Law to enter the temple. They would wash to go in. But it developed that proselytes or converts to Judaism. Before Christ came, if you wanted to follow God, you became a Jew. If you wanted to be follow God before Jesus came, you became a Jew. Because salvation is of the Jews. So, <clears throat> for example, Rahab, Ruth, they accepted the Jewish God and they became Jews. Yeah. Rahab, I'm not sure what she was. She was a harlot in Canaan. And Ruth was a Moabitess. She was from Moab. So she was Gentile. <clears throat> so um so this baptism John preached a baptism of repentance so he was calling people to repent and turn back to the Mosaic law in preparation for the coming of the Messiah now Jesus changed it didn't he Matthew 28, 18 through 20, very famous verse, the Great Commission. <clears throat> Go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to command what I have told you. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. So Paul explained that baptism under Christ was for identification with him. When we get baptized, <clears throat> we are telling other people what has already happened to us. Because what makes us a Christian <clears throat> is the indwelling Holy Spirit. That makes us a Christian. When we believe in Jesus, the indwelling, the Holy Spirit indwells us, we get a new nature, and that is what makes us a Christian. That's why Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be, not you might, not you should, you must 
be born again. So, <clears throat> belief in Christ makes you a Christian. It does not make you a disciple. That's up to you. That's what you should. You should obey. Will you? Sometimes. <laughs> you know, that is the moment by moment choice. So, um, <clears throat> okay, so Jesus is the Lamb of God. So we're going on to our next section here. How about I'll read that one? The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. Again, we see this testimony sounds legal, a legal thing, you know. He's testifying. So he saw Jesus. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <clears throat> what does that imagery bring up in your mind? The Lamb of God. Yes, sacrifice. A happy, innocent death. <laughs> yeah. 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 So this goes back to <clears throat> Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. That is a prophecy. 700 years before Jesus of him. And then uh, Exodus 12. Remember Exodus 12? Exodus 12 is the first Passover. Exodus 12, 11 through 13. <clears throat> yeah, you're supposed to Every family is supposed to get a little lamb, have it in the house for two weeks so they're all attached to it and it's all cute and lovely, and then they're to slaughter it. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So <clears throat> the animal sacrifices were God's provision before the Messiah came to cover sin. Did not take away sin. It would cover sin until the next time. So it had to be done over and over and over and over again, over and over again, until Jesus. That's a lot of animals. A lot of animals were killed. And it will come again. In the millennial kingdom, we're told that animal sacrifices will be reinstituted <clears throat> in Jerusalem as a memorial to what Jesus has done. Which makes sense because in the millennium, death will be very rare. Death will be a rare thing in the millennium. Um, and he wants us to remember the price of sin. It's blood. The price of sin is blood. So, <clears throat> so John is pointing out this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because he will offer his own blood. That is why God became enfleshed. He became enfleshed so that he would have the blood to pay for sin. Perfect blood. So, um, yeah, he was the efficacious sacrifice. The death of the perfect man pays for sin. So he was revealed to John supernaturally. John, um, verse 31 says, I did not recognize him. You see, John and Jesus were related. I think they were cousins. And he didn't know that. John, John didn't know that, that he was the Messiah. But he's like, oh, hey, cuz. <laughs> you know, he comes. And he says, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And then he says, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven. He said, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize God in water said, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, this is the one you know, who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the one who affects spirit baptism. And uh, spirit baptism, Jesus explains more fully in John 14, verses 16 and 17. And it did not come until after Jesus ascended again. He died, he rose, he ascended again. And then the spirit baptism came. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. The Holy Spirit will not ever leave us. So the Holy Spirit's in you. 
so with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And that is separate from, different from the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints, the spirit would come upon them to empower them for a mission. You know, the spirit came upon Gideon. The spirit came upon David, actually, for his whole life. It says the Spirit came upon David for his whole life, and he prayed after he sinned, please do not take the Holy Spirit away from me. Because the Lord did take the Holy Spirit away from Saul, and David saw what happened. So, But in us, it comes inside, and he stays, does not leave. So <clears throat> that's encouraging, isn't it, that second day? Okay, again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And notice, John didn't say, Hey, where are you going? He said, No, it's okay. Go. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Okay, see what John's doing here? He's telling the Gentiles what rabbi means. That's how we know it's written to unbelieving Gentiles. Where are you staying? He said, see, he said to them, <clears throat> come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. Again, John is explaining to Gentiles. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Okay, so just in that passage, John three times explained to the Gentiles what these words mean. So John's goal was that people should follow Jesus. It did not hurt his feelings when people left him to follow Christ. In John 3.30, he said, He, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. And that should be our goal, too. And verse 39, this kind of metaphorically is how we grow spiritually. Verse 39, he said, Jesus said to them, come and you will see where he's staying. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him. That is how we grow. We stay with Jesus. He will make us grow. We stay by reading his word and by praying to him and being ready to obey when we see a command to us. Usually in the New Testament letters. We're ready to obey. And as we obey, he will make us grow. Anything else? Any questions, comments, retractions, retractions? Okay. Uh, well, God bless you. <laughs>